0: Only thing I'm is
1: Forgotten Seasons. Welcome back to another episode of Forgotten Seasons. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. Today, we are going to H-Town, reliving the 2009 Houston Rockets season with their all-defensive wing, Shane Battier. This Rocket squad won 53 games, finished as the five seed in a loaded Western Conference. Their playoff starting five was Aaron Brooks, Battier, Ron Artest, Luis Scola, and Yao Ming. You'll notice no T-Mac in there. Mac battled injuries all year and eventually called it a season in February. Microfracture knee surgery. Unfortunately, really the beginning of the end for Mac's stint in Houston. Yao, on the other hand, who, as you know, battled injuries just like T-Mac, was healthy this season. He plays 77 games, all NBA second team, but injury strikes at probably the worst possible time midway through the conference semifinals versus the Lakers. He breaks his foot, done for the playoffs. That conference semifinals was a classic versus the Lakers. Houston advances past B-Roy in Portland in round one and gets Kobe and the Lakers in round two. Without Mac or Yao, they go toe-to-toe with the eventual champs, take them to seven games. Our guy Battier is the primary matchup versus Kobe, which, as you can expect, comes with some legendary stories. Shane gets into all of that and more. So, let's get into it now. Quick reminder to leave a rating and a review if you are coming back to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Forgotten Seasons with Shane Battier on the 2009 Rockets begins right now. I am here. With Duke, great defensive maestro Shane Battier. Shane, how are you doing today, man?
0: Dylan, it's great to be here, man. Thanks for having me.
1: I am very excited to get into this 2008 9 Rockets season. Growing up, I was a huge Tracy McGrady fan. I think these teams were just tantalizing. You got McGrady and Yao, two transcendent talents, but uh, never seemed to really click at the same time. Brutal injury luck. But this season was, was uh, McGrady goes out and you guys make a run second round Lakers seven games, Uh, but just getting into it, sort of a brief oral history of the Rockets. This is year five of the McGrady-Yao era. This is year three for you. Two years in a row, you guys lose to Utah in round one. If you can remember, like, what is the energy going into this season? 08-09 coming off those two consecutive first round losses to Utah.
0: Yeah, so in year three, um, look, first of all, the West was an absolute buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. And most people, were, you know, it, it took 50 wins just to get like a, like a five seed, which is like ridiculous. And you talk about Dallas and San Antonio and the Lakers and Portland and um, just a ton of just really, really good teams in Minnesota. I mean, so like all these teams are really, really good. And so um, we played – Utah jazz team, which was, was stacked. I mean, stacked. any other year, you put them in the East and, you know, talking about, you know, D will is prime Karolinko in his prime occur. is prime, you know, Carlos Boozer. I mean, they, they were a monster. So, um, the tough one in, in, in the early years against the jazz was we lost game seven at home. Uh, not too many teams lose game seven at home. And we did to Utah, very, very good team in a four or five matchup. So, um, the next year we were banged up. Uh, I think Yao was out for that. Um, he, he didn't play. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you you understand that loss, but you know, we had the confidence that, you know, we were good enough to win it. We, we thought that we had enough talent. Um, we, we thought that, you know, we had, we had stars, we had role players, we had great coaching. Uh, so optimism was, was super high and we were just looking for just one, one year of health just to, to, to try to put it all together. So the two
1: main storylines going into this season for you guys in the offseason, one is that T-Max coming off microfracture surgery, which he talked about is a, a brutal surgery. Uh, and then the second is that you make a big move trading for Ron Artest, who he's been on the show. I'm, I'm a big Ron guy, but no denying around that time there may be questions you know, about his character. You guys end up both making all defensive team and really being one of the best wing defensive combinations of that era First reaction when you heard you guys were making a move to Ron? Our test.
0: Look, I grew up playing against Ron, so Ron and I are both at teammates for all class in 1997. Uh. Uh, so I knew Ron when we were 13 years old, and I, I love Ron just because that guy was just a competitor. And uh, you know, obviously, he had a, a pass with the uh, with with the, with the palace uh, mm. uh, throwdown. I guess you I guess you could say. Um, but no one ever questioned his heart. No one ever questioned his talent. And so I was excited. I mean, but we, you know, to, to go out there with Ron, who, who I had a relationship with, I was, I was cool with it. And you can't win in this league without talent. And there's no doubt that Ron was a, an amazing talent. And, um, you know, it, I love playing defense with Ron because he was so different than me. You know, I was about angles and, and about uh, the strategy, and he was just about you know sheer brute force. You know, he had these like meat cleavers for hands, and he was like probably, maybe maybe the strongest wing I played against my entire career. How much did um, he weigh? How much did he weigh at this time? He had to be at least two fifty, hmm. at least two fifty, and like a solid two fifty. You know, and he go into the weight room and he didn't lift a lot of weights. I mean, he was like country strong, even though he's from Queensbridge. And, you know, he threw up, just, you know, put, put racks on the, on the, on the the bench press and all right, let's go play. And, uh, but he was, he was fun to watch. He was fun to watch because he had a lot of antics, um, but I think he played up a lot of his antics, you know, knowing Ron, he was actually a pretty, a pretty savvy defender.
1: Yeah. Super nice guy too. I think you, you see him on the court and you you expect his personality to match that but my experience of him soft spoken super thoughtful guy so i'm i'm a big fan of Ron too sort of question about roster roster construction you're you're with the heat now as a consultant with with their owner ownership group uh, we hear so much about the heat culture do you how much do you take in a, into account a, a player's reputation how they're going to fit into the locker room uh, does that sort of sway you away from certain guys or are you betting on that heat culture to be able to shape and mold
0: players when they come in well in houston we had a really strong locker room um you know you talk about Luis scola rave ralston obviously yao ming you mm-hmm. know T Mac. we didn't have a whole, a whole lot of jerks so we we weren't too concerned about uh ron and and the disruption you know rick rick Adelman doesn't get enough credit for being an amazing uh coach I mean, he's in the hall of fame now but he was legend. um he was a legend and what rick did better than any other coach i i played with um, on any, any level, he really gave ownership to the team. And it was never like, this is, this is my team and do, do what I say. And, and, you know, when we win, it's because of my plan. He really gave ownership to team and it, and it felt like it was our locker room it felt like it was our organization and it, it takes a unique unique mind to do that and rick had that and so uh so when Ryan comes into our locker room you know we, we embrace them no, no big deal and as long as you show up and, and you, you lace them up and and when it's 7 30 and the ball's in the air you're ready to go and prepared we don't care who you are and that's the beauty of ball and um you know so we, we had no concerns whatsoever uh, with, with Ron on our team, we're actually pretty happy. We, we, we thought we had a strong enough locker room and culture that uh, it, it didn't matter who would come in our locker room. Uh, they were going to help us win.
1: Well, it works out. Without McGrady this season, 53 wins, five seed in the West, number four overall defense. You and Ron obviously a big part of that. Uh, and sort of going into the res- the construction of the roster, one of my favorite parts about this team is just the strength of the role players, uh, you got Kyle Lowry, you got Aaron Brooks, Carl Landry, Von Wafer, uh, just talk about sort of the, the, the balance that this team had to offer going one through eight, one through 10, where guys are, are coming in and, and really shining in their role.
0: Well, look, you know, Daryl Morey and Sam Hinkie; those, those are my guys and, mm. uh, they find talent. You can say whatever you want about their methods. Those dudes find talent and, and. You know, look, we had guys like second round picks, guys off the G League, Mike Harris. Um, we had so much talent on the team. Like people forget like Aaron Brooks was, you know, might have been an all-star, but it was borderline all-star and was absolute crushing. No one can guard him. And Kyle Lowry couldn't sniff the floor. Now, Kyle Lowry's is a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And like it was, it was AB's team, you know, and AB was quick. And when you put him in a pick and roll with Yao Ming, like he was a handful Right. And the next year, you know, AB gets hurt. Kyle steps in. Kyle becomes an all-star. Mm-hmm. Right. We had, you know, Carl Landry um, was an absolute monster. Like people Beast. forget, like he was our go-to player down the stretch. we had Yao Ming, yep. you know, <laughs> hall of favor. We had T-Mac and we were running turn four for Carl Landry, where we just turned him out, g- gave the ball to Carl on the block. And Carl would go to work and like, like Carl Landry, you know, he mm-hmm. pulled Mike Harris out of the, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. He wins a game for us that year. Steve Novak. Uh, you know, Von Wafer was a re- revelation. I mean, he was, like, supposed to be the 14th guy. And he comes in, and he was just like, you know, Vinnie Johnson uh, of the new millennia. And so, you know, we had amazing talent. We had, we had a play style that was very democratic. Um, and obviously, you throw in, um, you know, the all-stars that we had. Um, you know, we about Luis Scola. I mean, just mm-hmm. dude, we had so much talent that year. So, um, you know, we we had enough talent to win. There's you know, no doubt we had enough talent to win. It just uh, we had a lot of bad luck.
1: Speaking of Maury and Hinckley, I think it's well known. Maury was one of the first analytics driven GM. And I mean, don't have to explain who Sam Hankey is and what his philosophy is. Were you at all tapped into sort of their their philosophy as, as an analytics first front office or are you just staying out of that?
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, those, those guys changed my life and my basketball career. Um, they taught me a different way to think about the game. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with them before every game, just trying to understand, like, how they look at players. And so, like, Sam, you know, I'll never forget, before every game, I'd get done my warm up. Then would sit down with Sam Hankey, and then he'd sort of quiz me, um, okay, what's more dangerous? You know, a Lou all Dang corner three or Kyle Corver uh, wing, wing three. You know, a, you know, uh, a Kevin Durant dribble off the jumper at the elbow or a, you know, bulky knockbar corner three. And, <laughs> and so, so, uh, you know, we sort of gamified it, but I understood all the trade-offs and, and really how to look at basketball through a, through a data lens. And I knew like what the shots were, you know, forget the players. I understood mm-hmm. what the shots were that beat you as a, as a defender. And, and what won you games and what lost you games, right? And so we did that every game. So um, I became just, you know, so enamored with the process of just understanding who a guy was, you know, down to the, you know, the, the percentile. And, um, you know, I knew guys better than they knew, than they knew guys, you know, and, and I knew guys better than guys knew themselves. And it gave me a tremendous advantage on, on the defensive end. Um, It hurt me on the offensive end because I knew what the answer to the the question was. Um, But uh, it was a a really, really great way to think about the game. And if I can go back and play for those guys now, I messed up in my career that I actually practiced like a two point dribble jumper, right? I wasted like hours of my life practicing jump shots from the elbow, right? If I go back and I'll play, I get 20 rips up from three, and that's it. I would never dribble. (laughs) I would have been a much better player.
1: Question about sort of just analytics. I mean, when you have such an analytics driven front office, how do you weigh that versus the eye test? You know, you have it might sound like a stupid question, but there's some guys that maybe don't uh, cater too too well to an analytics model. But when you watch them, you know, they look great. They're getting good shots. Um, What is that sort of? chess match like in in pendulum weighing a yeah, player that that works great in models and, and one that's just you know it, it's not
0: either or you, mm-hmm. you need both look you, you still need the the qualitative and you could you, you know you can't measure a guy's heart or not IQ or his ability yep. to react or ability to adjust uh, during the game through through data There's some things that may hint but like you, you, you need it all mm-hmm. you know and the best teams today um, are the ones that marry the data and um, and sort of the eye test, the qualitative. Like, you know, we have models now where we know exactly what you should be able to shoot from anywhere on the floor, any player in the league, any player in the last 20 years, based on how far the defender is away from you. Right. So we know so you're not hiding in the player, you're, you're not fooling somebody into getting a max contract. Uh, without the data picking it up, right? So there's nowhere to hide anymore. Uh, But that is not the entire story. Uh, There's so much that goes into being a part of uh, a championship-winning basketball team. Data is just a part of it. And it will never replace it fully, but you can't win without it.
1: Do you think playing hard now is a skill
0: in today's league? Um, No, I I think guys play hard. Um, I think that... The differentiator uh, for the All-Stars and for the truly, truly great players and great teams the ability to think mm-hmm. and think under pressure, right? These guys are so athletic now. They're way more athletic than when I played. They're way more skilled than when I played, right? Mm-hmm. But the great differentiator is, is can you think the game and can you think it quickly and can you think it under pressure? And you see the guys who can and you see the guys who can't, all right? So I don't care how, how, how high you jump, how fast you are, or how – How mad your handle is. You can't think it. You're not going to be on the floor when when it's when it's not not cracking time. And that will always be true for basketball.
1: That's a great way to put it. Um, Jumping back in real quick, I I I do want to spend just a few minutes talking about the the stars of this team. Uh, T Mac and yeah, obviously T Mac's out, but. Uh, just shedding a little bit of light you were with him for the two seasons before in Houston I imagine going up against him in practice sometimes uh, I, I'm i a part of his one's basketball league which he just launched trying to find the best one-on-one player uh, and I just think there couldn't be a better face for that league than than Tracy McGrady can you just spend just a few moments talking about uh, your your memories of, of being T-Mac's teammate and, and just how unstoppable he was
0: on the wing yeah, well, look, you know, I grew up again in high school. I was class '97. TMAC was yeah. class '97, and you know, TMAC had a really interesting rise. You know, he was really unheralded till I think it was junior year. Were you at groups. the ABC? Were you at the ABC? I, D- wasn't, I with was. Him? I was at Nike. I was a Nike guy. He was ABC, oh, but you man. heard about this guy at Mac, yeah. You know, like where would he come from? Auburndale, Florida, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, just so explosive, so long, had all the skill set. Just really, just came on the team out of nowhere. You just don't see that anymore. Um, and, you know, obviously I guarded him in Toronto for a few years. I was in the Western Conference always, so I saw him twice a yep. year. So you don't, you don't see the guys in the conference a whole lot. Um, and so You don't really get to know them that well. Uh, you know, they're just a handful. T-Mac was an absolute handful and just so aggressive. And, and, you know, he was a monster, you know, especially early in his career before his injuries. Um, when I got to Houston, you know, what struck me about T-Mac um, that I don't think he gets enough credit for is he's, he's probably the best passer I ever played with you know okay. he, he was a great pitcher in, in high school um but he saw everything everything and you know as a shooter like you just want the ball in the pocket all mm-hmm. right like just hit me hit me on my chest and i'm, I'm gonna give you an assist and Mac, he put that on the money every single time you know it could be from up here one-handed bullet pass and so like super super underrated passer and and a, and a willing passer for as good as great as a scorer as he was and all the accolades for scoring uh, he was a willing passer and just a really really savvy basketball player um, but you know by far the best passer and I play with some great passer. the best passer that I, that I play with
1: I think that's the first time I've heard that but I, I, he did put up some good assist numbers some year transitioning to the other head of that other head of that two headed monster Yao Ming. Uh, he plays 77 games this year. It's really his last uh last hurrah in the league and some of his best basketball, 22 10, and two. Uh you have any any good Yao stories that sort of encapsulate who he is? I've heard that he's sort of underratedly like one of the funnier guys in the league. Yeah. Any
0: anything you got for Yao? Yeah, Yeah. I told a great story. Uh, you know, he had a charity event at uh um one night he came to the guys in the locker room and said, Hey guys, I want to invite you to my charity event. You know, this week it's, it's so-and-so in Houston, you know, please uh, bring your wives or please bring your girlfriends. Please don't bring both. And I'm like, that's really good. <laughs> so like, like, yeah. I think y'all pretended not to speak English very well. so People leave him alone, but he mm-hmm. was actually like hilarious and had a great sense of humor. Uh, y'all was one of my favorite, most Favorite teammates of all time. You know, you talk about a guy who just worked his tail off, cared about the team, um, just just wanted to do his job for the team. And let me tell you, Yao couldn't condition in the summer like he wanted to because of his injury problems and in his feet. Mm-hmm. And so it took him a while to get in shape every year. Um, but, you know, around Christmas time, when he finally got in NBA shape, you know, there was probably like a four or five week period, six week period where there was no one who to could touch him. I'm talking Shaq in his prime. He said it himself. You know, Dwight Howard in his prime. These guys, they, they could not handle him. I mean, he mm-hmm. was 30 and 20 and 7 every single night. And just a monster. And the problem was he couldn't keep it up. And he got fatigued because he was doing so much. And then, like, he went back to Gregory yeah, which is still Hall of Fame. But every year, he had this stretch. where was like, oh, my gosh, this, this guy is unstoppable. He was unstoppable. And so mm-hmm. – you know, all the talk about is Yao Hall of Famer, absolutely. Uh, because I saw it firsthand, there was, you know, there were weeks in the season he was the best player in the universe.
1: And what he's done, I think the Hall of Fame also takes into account just what you do, maybe a little bit outside of the court too. The the global impact, probably the NBA's second biggest market right now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah. is undeniable. So so shout out to Yaw. Uh, zooming out a little bit, obviously you as one of the premier perimeter defenders in the league. Uh, curious to hear who, who the guys were that maybe made you think a little bit harder, uh, maybe made you work a little bit harder. Obviously, we know Kobe, who we'll, we'll get into later. But were there any other guys on the wing that uh, maybe made you be the best version of you when you matched up against them?
0: Well, I don't know if I was the best version of me. These guys worked, uh, you know, they <laughs> made me work my ass off. Uh, you know, guys like Melo, you know, obviously Melo, when, when he was younger, was an absolute monster. and uh, Ginobili was just, he was so tough. It was mm-hmm. so tough. I'm glad to see him in, in, in the Hall of Fame uh, this yep. year. Um, you know, Paul Pierce was a handful. You know, I, I caught Dirk a little bit on, on the wing. Um, you know, LeBron, young LeBron. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> young, young LeBron, young Melo. Uh, there were so many great wings. So many great wings that, you know, and you know, and Kobe was was the best out of all of them. But, uh, you know, that, that was the fun part. Fun part was mm-hmm. lacing him up and okay, who do I got tonight? Okay, Mello. Okay, it's gonna be a long night. It's gonna be a long night, but you know, hopefully, I can make him work and make him take a few more shots than he wants to take and uh, and keep his efficiency down. So, um, you know, that's that's what I miss. I, I miss uh, that feeling of uh, getting on the bus. You know, and, and Marina Del Rey at the Ritz there and, and going to the Staples Center and being like, oh, shit, I got, I got Kobe tonight. You know, this guy is thirsty. He's going to try to embarrass me. Um, and there's nothing in life that replicates that feeling of, like, I better bring it or I'm going to be embarrassed. And, uh, you know, that that's the beauty of our league. There's so many great players and it's every single night. And um, that's, that's the best thing about, the, about playing in this league for, for 13 years. No, uh, no hinky packet could give you any tips on Kobe. Oh yeah, oh, I, I had the full. <laughs> I had, trust me, Co- Kobe's book was was super was super thick, right? And you know what? What made these guys um, so good is is they just had the green light, and you knew they were getting up twenty to thirty rips a night, and um, you couldn't control that, All right. Yeah. So there's no one stopping these guys, All right. There's no Kobe stopper, no Carmelo stopper, all right? Mm-hmm. So anyone who says they were no the best you could hope for against these guys is to be sort of the human yellow light. Okay. And, and get them to, again, take a ton of shots and not score a lot of points. All right. I, I think I, I did a great job. If, if Kobe scored 30, he took 27 shots. I did my job. Mm-hmm. All right. And everyone's like, Oh, Kobe had 30 or Kobe had 40. I'm, I'm 30, 35 shots. Like the, the, the points don't matter. It's the shots because if you're taking a lot of shots to get those points, you're not helping your team. And that's all you're trying to do is trying to drag down uh, the efficiency of the other player um, because you're not stopping them, all right? Keep them off the foul line. um, You know, make them turn the ball over a few times. Those are the play the small plays that help you win games in the end, you know, regardless of points. You know, most fans just look at the box score and see points. That's that's only a very small part of the story, actually. It's Mm -hmm. everything else in context that determines whether you win or lose and have success. No Kobe stoppers, a, a slide dig at Ruben Patterson. No, <laughs> there's no Kobe glad, stoppers. There, there, there might be some Kobe, you know, yellow lights at times. Yeah, okay. But there's no, no, no one no one's stopping anybody at that level. <laughs>
1: <No>, I <I'd> agree. <laughs> um, okay, so regular season fifty three wins. You guys grab. Uh, the five seed in the West, you got Portland in round one, Uh, you end up winning in six, but games two through four, really close. They're all decided by three points or less. Uh, What do you remember from that series? Maybe specifically uh, a little Brandon Roy talk and one of the, the, the more, the biggest what ifs uh, of that generation. And this is when he's really ascending
0: into that superstar level. Yeah. Well, B-Roy is a monster, man. And I think he's sort of forgotten. Unfortunately, because he was an absolute handful, this guy—you talk about playing at your own pace. You know, mm-hmm. you could never speed him up. You know, he got to his spots, he got the shots he wanted, and he was like a chess master out there, just controlling the floor. And he was the first guy that I, I really, really, really—I said, Sam, you know, Daryl, give me every, give me the kitchen sink. I'm Brandon Roy because interesting thing about him—he played differently in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and in terms of like where he got his shots from. Um, where he liked to catch the ball from the pick and rolls he ran, and you know that was really the first time I said, ah, okay, I, you know this is super interesting. And like you just can't go play a guy, and especially in the playoffs, there's no secrets. You got to know a guy, you know backwards and in frontwards, and um, just an absolute monster because he was athletic. You know in the fourth quarter he's still you know trying to punch on you, and really sad that the that, knees that just gave out and uh, cause he, he would have been, I think he would have been a hall of Famer, you know, I know Ron Artest Easy. called him the best player he ever played against. And I think he was trying to piss Kobe off, but <laughs> I was, I was, um, we're going to get to that. <laughs> That's the... No, I, you know, but I, I, I we all respected B Roy. We all knew that he was a monster, you know, but for like, I was excited. That was the first time I'd ever been out of the playoffs, you know, mm-hmm. for as much success as I had at Duke, you know, I went to the Memphis Grizzlies. We made the playoffs three straight years. We got swept three straight years. All right. So I never, never experienced second round. We played Utah next two years in Houston. I lose first round, first round. So I'm I'm like, man, I'm getting a little older. I need to get out of the, I need to get out of the first round. I don't want to be that guy. So, um, you know, we we were, we were banged up, uh, didn't have TMAC. Uh, and so it was, uh, it was an awesome series that would be closed out in six. So I was super, super proud of that series. And, uh, you know, then we get the Lakers all they can handle in game seven or in seven games the next round, which was a really, really fun series as well.
1: Quick question about just those, uh, you know, those books on the players um, you, that you got, do you still have those?
0: I, you know, I stole a few. So yeah. just, just for my own, my own file, just going back and looking at, at, at how I used to think about guarding guys and, um, you know, those are – I really haven't shared those with anybody. But uh, I have a file of, of, of the great ones just to show my kids one day, look, I used to guard Kobe and and Melo and LeBron. And this is how I try to guard them.
1: I mean, that's great. I would, I would love to see one of those. Um, Lakers series, you mentioned that Ron was already trying to play mind games with him saying, you know, Kobe's good, but I think Brandon Roy's better. Uh, I saw a, a hilarious and just amazing article – that was published right before the series talking about the match between you, Ron and Kobe. Kobe was saying there, I think he's quoted as, Oh, you know, I, I torch Shane Battier every time, you know, that's no, no problem. Uh, You've called going up against Kobe, the ultimate chess match, obviously on the floor, we see the banging, you know, those, those isolations, but talk about just the mental side about going up against Kobe at this time where you know he's he's running through the west what is that like well first of all
0: you know ron was calling kobe out i took the complete opposite approach like i never ever said i can guard kobe all right i was kind of like eeyore and i wanted i wanted to be like the most passive guy like i I had an ego all right i wasn't selfless i i knew i was a good defender and i knew what my my skills were but i knew like if I fire that guy up, that's, that's bad news for me. So I, did, I went out of my way to say, oh, man, Kobe just missed shots. He, he's had a bad game. Like, it, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. So that was – but, like, Kobe knew that. And Kobe actually wrote a, a page in his book, Mama Mentality, about me. And he said, look, you know, Shane never admitted he could guard me. In fact, he downplayed, like, his skills, you know. And he said, but I, I saw through that false humility and attacked him because of it. And I read that after he passed, and I started crying and laughing at the same time. So I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I was trying to do. And so the battle between Kobe and I was like the game within the game within the game within the game. The only he and I knew were playing against each other. And that's why I, he's my favorite you know, player and and to guard and, and, to, and to compete against. Uh, because it wasn't about just Lakers against the Rockets or the whatever. It was, it was this mental warfare game that we played with each other. And, um, you know, it, it was the best, um, you know, that series, look, you know, if you go on Twitter, you're going, all these people, people like are always killing me. Like, Oh, Kobe tore, tore Shane for forty in game two. And like, Hey, he had a great game. But like, I looked at the numbers for that series and like, I was okay with the numbers that he scored against me. You know, he averaged like 26, 27 points, you know, shot 45% from the, from the field, um, only got six, three throws a game. And so like, those are the things I judge myself on. And I'm like, I can live with that, you know? And the thing about um, the story I tell, you know, I got, I got a lot of acclaim for the hand in the face tactic. Yep. All right. And so people misunderstand like why I did that. Right. And if, especially for a guy like Kobe, I knew Kobe would go out of his way to prove that this tactic wouldn't work on him because he never wanted to admit he, he, he had a weakness. Well, What's the only way that he he can prove that this doesn't work? Is to take a long two-point dribble jump shot. What is Kobe Bryant's worst shot? A long two-point dribble jump shot. So I was completely fine with him trying to prove that this tactic didn't work because he was going to his statistical weakness, right? Whether he made it or he missed it, it didn't matter to me. You know, people go, oh, you hit that shot with the hand in the face, like, I didn't care. All they cared about is he took that shot. And I knew if he took enough of those shots, he was never going to have like these huge, huge, huge games over a long stretch of, of, of time. All right. So like, I never reacted to one game, never reacted to one. Game. I wanted to see how I played against a guy over a, ser- or, or a series or a season or a career. And so like, again, that was the, the mental game that I played, you know, with, with Kobe, um, you know, prove it, Kobe. Keep proving it. <laughs> he made a lot, and he made a lot of jumpers. But again, I was like, I was like completely fine with with the shots that he made like that. I got mad when I put him in the foul line, and I gave yeah. him twelve free throws a game, and I gave him a bunch of dunks and layups. Like those are the ones that I lost sleep over. Not 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 the jumpers. I don't know if I don't
1: know uh, my colors aren't great, but I don't know if they're what what the mix between yellow and green is. I think that's maybe what you what you caused him um (laughs) at times uh, times. is 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 there one image it doesn't have to be from this season when you think of your battles on the court one one image or or one small soundbite that that sort of flashes into mind first
0: (laughs) Oh, against kobe or just in general just
1: a kobe 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 oh man you know
0: it was always interesting so kobe again we're playing these mind games and you know before the game, you know, there's always, uh, uh, you know, pleasantries exchange, whatnot. And there were some games from Kobe was just so talkative to me. Hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? What's going, you know, what's going on? And, uh, and then the next game, he wouldn't even look at me. He wouldn't even look at me. And so, like, I just, I, I always laugh. I chuckled to myself. I, di- I didn't care, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to guard you, regardless whether you talk to me or, or not. And, and so, Kobe became like a, you know, this this thing in our family, and I'll never forget. Like uh, my my son was uh, just born, and my wife was holding him after the game in Houston. And it, you, know, you gotta walk by the, the wives and uh, family section, and go to the bus, and Kobe stops and go. And didn't know it was my wife. It's like, oh man, what a what a good looking kid, you know, my son Zeke. And my wife's like, thanks, like don't talk to my son. <laughs> so, like, that's what I remember from that. I was like, Kobe. became like a family thing. That's but incredible. I, you know, I, 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 it really makes me sad. And when, when he passed that, we, we've never had this conversation. I you know I would give anything to, to be able to have this conversation and be like, I, you know, I knew you're playing mind games and he would say the same thing about, about me. And, and, uh, you know, that, that's why I think very highly of Kobe. And, and I'm, I'm just super sad that, We'll never have this conversation. We'll we'll have this conversation in, in the in the, in the big staple Center in the, in the sky one day. Um, but it's uh, very 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 sad, but blessed that I had a chance to to, to play against uh, a guy who who literally pushed me to the edge.
1: No, I mean I, I can't get enough of the Kobe stories, and I think it's great. You know, the, all the NBA community just keeping the legacy alive. You know, it's a it's a big legacy that's not going anywhere. But just hearing these stories from all these different people and and Every single person pretty much that played in the league at the same time or shared a court with him has like an incredible, I- extremely detailed story about him. Uh so thank you for for sharing all that. Um sort of just reflecting back, you know, on that playoff run. Like, how cool is it just to say in a in a three or four week window, you you went toe to toe with with two guys like Brandon Roy and Kobe in the same playoffs and yeah. held your own and then some.
0: Yeah, look, we gave them all they can handle, and you know, like I said, we we had it, we had talent. We 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 could have caused some noise. You know, that game yeah. seven against the Lakers that we lost in the Staples, um, you know, we just got we got blown out because we just didn't have anything else and left the tank. And you know, Bynum and Gasol were just and Lamar Odom was too big. You know, we're starting Chuck Hayes at center. You know, Chuck Hayes is one of my favorite teammates of all of all time. Um, but you know spoke to our team that year we just had amazing heart amazing togetherness you know our, our, our coach our coaching staff was amazing um we just got a really tough draw in the second round I'm not I'm not saying we could have beat the Lakers um but I, I remember I remember from that series that uh, Phil Jackson actually got really uh, upset at the press conference because people were just like how are these Rockets even like staying in the series and Phil Jackson goes Chuck Hayes is a good player all right, you show some respect on Chuck Hayes. So like the Lakers knew they respect us, even if the world's like, you know, how are these, how are these the little, the little rockets that could stay on the court with <laughs> the eventual NBA champions, uh, the, the Lakers with, with Bynum, Gasol, Kobe, and Lamar Odom. I mean, Yao also only plays three games uh,
1: this series. And I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if Yao's healthy for, for seven, it
0: could be different. If we had, if we had help, we had T-Mac and Yao, I I would have liked our chances against anybody, you know, we we would have had a shot against anybody, you know, but, you know, people don't talk about, you know, how great Mutombo was. All right. Mm -hmm. Mutombo, again, one of, again, one of the greatest teammates of all time, you know, in the years that that Yao would go out, the Kembe would just like, he could barely run and lay up lines and get out there. 50 years old. (laughs) <laughs> like, grab 15 boards and still block six shots. Like, it was yeah. the damnedest thing of all time, Mutombo. And then, you know, still to this day, like, he'd block a shot, he'd grab it, turn to the crowd, and you go, no, 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 no. And mm-hmm. we're like, Kimmy, we are out, man. Come on, pass the ball. <laughs> then finger away. Uh, but so, like, you know, that's why that, that team was so awesome. You know, it didn't matter who stepped in, they produced, whether it was Kim and Mutombo, Steve Novak. You know, Von Wafer, Carl Landry, um, mm-hmm. Luis Scola—just a really, really cool team. Um, but I'm glad we, we get a chance to talk about it because they—they they are kind of a forgotten. Uh, we are a forgotten team in in the late 2000s. Most
1: definitely. Uh, sort of just reflecting back are Are there any lessons or or little details that you picked up maybe from this season or just your Rockets didn't in general that that you
0: carry with you in, in front office now? Yeah. Look you know, I was lucky to win two championships with the Miami Heat. Um, and so, uh, coming from my time at Duke, uh, the, the value of the locker room is super important, all right? And it's easy to be a good locker room and things are good. Uh, but if you want to be a champion, you got to go through some stuff. And it, it tests your ability to, to come together as a team, to, to handle adversity, to, to sort of figure it out, all right? Because, mm-hmm. you, do, you know, no one's, no one's trying to help you up when you, when you have adversity in the nba they're trying to step on you, right and that's it's competition that's, that's yeah. the way it is um and so just having an amazing locker room understanding uh how important team togetherness something i took with me um you know to my next team with the heat and we had amazing team chemistry and, and a great locker room and we we had adversity like everybody else but when you have a strong team uh you can overcome it and that is still – you cannot win this championship, whether it's the Warriors this year or or, or anybody or the Bucs. You know, the last couple of years, you got to have a strong locker room. Uh, and there's, there's there's no way around it. Mm. Truth to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well,
1: Shane, I, I really appreciate, you know, all the wisdom and, and taking a trip down memory lane with me. I think, like you said uh, – the the Rockets era in general, I just find really fascinating. Again, but this specific team going toe to toe with the eventual champs, uh, having guys like Aaron Brooks, Kyle Lowry, like you know, coming to their own on the big stage, and of course, you and Ron's those battles against Kobe. Uh, I want to you know try and keep those those days and games alive. So you know, without you, that reliving that that goes away. So just thank you for for hopping on and you know, giving us so much about this season.
0: Well, it was it was a really really fun time for me. Uh, it was my, it was my prime. I Mm -hmm. thought as a, as a player. And so it's fun to relive with you, Dylan. Thanks for, thanks for bringing
1: me on. Thanks so much. And you know, we'll, we'll look out for those front office moves with the heat coming up.
0: All right. Be good.
1: That is a wrap forgotten seasons on the 2009 rockets with Shane Battier. I really liked that one. I think you could tell really how much pride Shane took in in that Kobe matchup and going toe-to-toe with the legend. We will be back next week with another episode. Drop a rating and a review. Really appreciate it. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus signing off. I will catch you next Tuesday. Peace.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?